Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for the 21st of November, 2023. Flyers won't be back in action until tomorrow night when they hit the road for a 7.30 game against the New York Islanders. We'll give you the schedule in a second. Let me tell you that Flyers Daily is presented by Ticketmaster, Make More Memories Live, and we're hoping for lots of goals from the Flyers and therefore lots of assists in that game against the Islanders. And this season, the Flyers are teaming up with Penn Medicine for the Penn Medicine Assist, which means that for every Flyers assist this season, Penn Medicine and the Flyers are donating 30 pounds of food to local communities in need. So we like doing that. We like scoring goals. We like seeing goals. We're going to talk about goals in just a second. Let me give you the upcoming schedule. Uh, like I said, Flyers tomorrow night going to be in, La- or excuse me, New York to take on the New York Islanders. Uh, that's the f- first of two of the next three games against the Islanders, and the next three all against New York teams. Friday, Black Friday game, 1 o'clock at Wells Fargo Center against the top of the division, top of the Metro division, New York Rangers. Flyers sitting in that second spot. Then it's the Islanders on Saturday, back up in New York again, 7.30. Then the Flyers will return home to wrap up the month of November uh, on the 28th, Tuesday, 7.30 at Wells Fargo against Carolina, who they've split with already this season. And we'll get our first look at the New Jersey Devils this year coming up uh, to wrap up the month on the 30th. So what are we going to talk about in this episode? Well, there's a lot to talk about. I think we've got a very interesting couple of uh, kind of correspondence, if you will, uh, with some Flyer fans. The first thing I want to mention, though, is this. As we sit here on the 20th of November, just a couple of days away, two days away from, as we term it, American Thanksgiving, the Flyers are sitting in the second spot in the Metropolitan Division. They've played 18 games. They've got 21 points. They've won five straight, six and four in their last 10. They're plus eight in goal differential. And when you kind of look at where they're ranked in some key categories in the NHL, you know, they're 14th in goals allowed uh, per games played. Um, They're scoring. They lead the NHL in first period goals, the power play, even with the recent success of this weekend, obviously still in total has not been a strong suit of this team. When you look at their power play, two power play goals against Vegas on Saturday, one on Sunday in that win, uh, you know, you look at it and you go, well, that's pretty good recently, but still only 11.5% on the season. The only teams with a worse power play are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Columbus Blue Jackets, St. Louis Blues, and oddly enough, the Washington Capitals with Alexander Ovechkin, who I think is probably the best power play and scorer the NHL has ever seen. But put that aside. Now, you think about that, and you you know the first period scoring is one of those things that I didn't expect coming into this year. Frankly, the goal scoring in total, I didn't expect coming into this year. They struggled so bad last year to score goals. They had to work so hard. They're right in the middle of the NHL right now, 3.33 goals per game. It's 15th in the league. And when you look at the fact that they're 15th in the league, they lead the NHL in first period scoring. And from these four players, Scott Lawton, Tyson Forster, Morgan Frost, and Noah Cates, all guys that we expected to put the puck in the net to varying degrees this year, you've got a total of five goals from those four players. You've got one goal from Lawton, one goal from Forster, which he scored against Vegas, two from Morgan Frost. He's only played in 10 games. He's been scratched for eight of them. And Noah Cates only has one. Now, total, Lawton's got nine assists as well, so he's got 10 points. But total, five goals from those four players 
222 total points. It's amazing that they are where they are from a goal-scoring perspective, and those four players have only contributed five goals. That number just flashes out to me. Now, conversely, with these four players, Travis Konechny, Joel Farabee, Owen Tippett, and Cam Atkinson, you've got a combined 33 goals and 55 points. Konechny, 11 goals, 4 assists. He's got 15 points. Joel Farabee, 7-7 seven and seven for 14 points. Owen Tippett, 7-6 and six for 13 points. And Cam Atkinson has 8 goals and 5 assists for 13 points. So again, 33 goals and 55 points from those four players. Now you couple that also with really good timely goaltending. Sam Harrison has been heating up of late. His numbers are much better. He looks like he's kind of developed the rhythm into the season. But Carter Hart in his 10 games has been really good. A record of 6-3 and three in those 10 games. He didn't get credit for one of them because he came out 10 minutes into that game where he you know, got the injury and Sam Harrison came in. But he's got a 2.4 goals against average and a 919 save percentage. He's also up there in goals uh, saved above expected in the NHL in the top 15 there. He's saved about, depending on the model, when you look online, you'll see different analytics companies or goals saved above expected. They have slightly different models, uh, but he's somewhere around 11 to 14 in the NHL and has saved about four more than he should have allowed based on the models. And again, they vary and there's no you know, consistency in exactly how those algorithms work out, but you've gotten good goaltending and that's why they're sitting where they're sitting. And you know, the guys stepping up like Travis Sanheim, who has just been I mean, this is a player I I don't even know that at your peak optimism of what he could be in the NHL, we saw this because he is just such a different player in the way he approaches the game mentally and physically. You see that extra muscle on him? He didn't just put the muscle on and not use it. He's using it. He's playing a much more powerful game, both in the D zone, uh, in the neutral zone, the way he defends the neutral zone. And then obviously in the offensive zone as well. And he's been pretty good on the power play. And that's been a huge, huge element to why the Flyers are where they are. Now, everybody goes, well, is it sustainable for the team? Is Are, are the Flyers, should we be thinking wild card? Should we be thinking playoffs? You know, the teams that are in the top three in their division, you know, by the time of American Thanksgiving hits, uh, they make the playoffs about 85% of the time. Are they a playoff team? I don't know any about, about any of that. I, the rest of the season is not going to just plow along and they're going to just, you know, be, be an absolute wagon. But a big part of it's going to be Sanheim, and he's going to be a big part of it. He's their leading uh, minutes on ice player. And I thought Todd Fedorik brought up something really interesting in the game broadcast the other night, and it's this. You know, Travis Sanheim is now being thought of and looked at differently by NHL coaches around the league and by opposition players. The longer he keeps playing at this level, it becomes, okay, we have to key on Travis Sanheim. We have to do things now to take him off his game. When you become a focal point of the opposition, that means you're doing something right. You're trying to limit the damage you know, a player that's playing really well, an impactful player has on the game. So how are other teams going to try and do that with Travis Sanheim? Well, they're going to try and be physical. That's for sure. And they're also going to try and, you know, get him turning his back to the play, dump into his corner and, you know, put a lot of bodies on him and try and wear him down that way. 
But it'll be really interesting to see now for Travis Sanheim that teams will be keying on him. And he won't be this newly found un, unknown commodity to be playing at this level, how he handles that uh, going forward. We're not quite a qu- at the quarter pole just yet. We just passed the 20% mark on the season. Uh, but we'll see how that part of it plays out going forward. And then obviously there's other things we got to see too. You know, is Brink uh, going to be a guy that remains in the lineup? Is he going to have to sit it every once in a while to kind of get a reset? We'll see about that. He didn't play a lot last year coming off that surgery. You know, what's the situation going to be, and how's it going to play out for Morgan Frost the rest of the way? He's got two goals, two assists, four points in the 10 games he's played, but he's been scratched eight times. You know, injuries are going to happen invariably. Who are they? How severe are they? And what's the damage done to the lineup? And I know I say this a lot, but the next man up thing in sports is a nice thing to say, but the next man up usually ain't the guy that just came out. (laughs) Otherwise... The guy that just came out or the next man up would be there already. So uh, how that all plays out remains to be seen. But I wanted to get to a, a couple of uh, correspondence that I got. Now, I put out a tweet yesterday that I was going to talk to Torts today. As you're hearing this, it's today. We're going to tape Hockey and Hounds this week. And I wanted to ask, you know, the Flyer fans for questions. Give me and, – and I said the best question is going to get a pair of tickets to an upcoming home game. You know, you can always – Tweet me, DM me, at Jason Mert on Twitter, or you can send me an email at jason.mertetus, M-Y-R-T-E-T-U-S, at gmail.com. And I got a bunch. Now, some of them I will use, and we'll put under consideration for Hockey and Hounds, but I did get this one that I'm obviously not going to ask Torts about, but I wanted to bring up here. And I got this email from a guy named Paul Weaver. He said in the subject line, whatever happened to the rebuild? He said, ask Torts about whatever happened to doing it the right way. Sitting Morgan Frost for almost half the game so far isn't doing it the right way. It becomes personal with Torts. Happens with every team he's ever been with. Flyers will be stuck in the mud until he's gone. Jonesy had me fooled. Looks like a used car salesman now. And that's the note from Paul. And, you know, I, I, I do see some angst, and we've talked about it here, about is this winning is what they're doing right now good for the rebuild? I think we're all kind of in uncharted territory here to some degree. We, you know, for, when it comes to the Flyers, we don't really know what rebuilds look like. We've never lived one, as far as I can remember. I'm 51. The team just was never a rebuild team. They were, you know, maybe a retool. You know, we heard the term aggressive retool last year, whatever that was. But, you know, we've never gone through this proper bottom out build it up, rebuild, and kind of titled it that way. Now, they had a a stretch, you know, pre-Lindros and even into Lindros where they missed the playoffs five straight years. But we're kind of in uncharted territory as far as modern day and people's thoughts on a rebuild. And those things, you know, the rebuild in sports has become polarizing because how do you do it? You know, it depends on the sport. You know, we saw what the Sixers did and intentionally put an inferior product on the floor for four years in the hopes to get superstar players and, you know, be a contender for a long period of time. They haven't gotten past the second round in a league that's much more reliant on one player than the NHL is. You know, you see it in different sports where teams try and put themselves in a position to get the best draft pick. We saw it as far back as McDavid. We saw it, obviously, with Connor Bedard more recently. And we've seen some people want to say Pittsburgh as well uh, when they got Crosby and they already have Monken and Latang and Marc-Andre Fleury. But nonetheless, there's different ways to do it. 
So the rebuild is a polarizing topic and one that we don't have a lot of firsthand experience with when it comes to the Flyers. But as far as, you know, we're just over 20% into the season. This is my response to you, Paul. We're just over 20% into the season. The team is playing well. They've won five straight games. They've beaten some quality opponents. They have. Los Angeles Kings are a good team. Obviously, Vegas is a good team. Carolina is a good team. They've beaten some good teams here along the way. But just because they are where they are, sitting in the second spot right now in the Metropolitan Division, you know, through 18 games, doesn't mean that they lied to you about the rebuild. That's almost as as absurd as you can be. Frankly, it's just kind of dramatic. But a season is not judged on the first 18 games. An NHL season is judged on the 82. We'll see where they are after 82. Maybe they are, but I don't know. But (laughs) is it a bad thing? You know, Danny Briere was asked, what's the timeline of the rebuild? And I I know some people got annoyed with his answer, but he said the players will determine that. And ultimately, that's the God's honest truth. Danny Briere can't decide when the rebuild's over. You can see the actions of a general manager or an organization that kind of signal it might be over. If they added the deadline or whatever it might be, start you know, giving away draft capital or prospects to get a player for now. But overall, you want the players to decide when a rebuild is over or what stage a rebuild is in. And if they have a, a decent year, That doesn't mean it's not a rebuild. You don't have to suck for it to be a rebuild. And you don't have to suck badly to rebuild properly. That's the point. And, like, I don't understand. For the life of me, I don't understand that you can be going, whatever happened to doing it the right way. I, I just don't get that. And it's not like this Flyers team is sitting with a record of 13-3-1. and one. They're 10-7-1. and one. It's a good record. It's decent. It's like a 583 points percentage. It's not eye-popping. It's a nice record 18 games into the season. So just wanted to reply to that one. But thanks for the note. I appreciate it, Paul. Uh, appreciate you chiming in as well. And I want to get to this one other question. And I think this one's really interesting. I got this one a couple days ago. So it was not in response to a question for torts. It came from uh, Douglas Siegel. And he said, Jason, thanks for all your work on Flyers Daily and your other shows. Uh, It's great to have a Flyers show not based on hot takes and not reliant on social media clicks. Uh, You know I hate that, Doug. I can't stand the hot take. And look, on this podcast, my job is not to be emotional. I get emotional sometimes. When, like that Sharks game, I was emotionally angry. But my job is to look and and go, okay, why? Why did this happen? Why is that? Why did this not happen? Whatever it might be. But anyway, he goes on in his email. He said, I've been a hockey fan for 20 plus, 25 plus years, and I feel like I understand the X's and O's of hockey the least, at least compared to football, basketball, and baseball. Even, even casual fans of other sports can understand a 4-3 versus a 3-4 defense in football or a man versus switching defense zone in basketball. He said, what do you think could be done to raise the level of hockey discussion? Something between 
uh, all in on advanced stats and get pucks deep and get pucks on net. He said, I think it would go a long way to making people understand and appreciate that hockey isn't just chaos on the ice. So he said, if you controlled a game broadcast, what would you change? For example, instead of just shots, a shots counter next to the score, make it chances. Or relying on color commentators for more tactical breakdowns, gap control, forechecking, set plays on offensive zone faceoffs. He said, using more shot location diagrams to show net from pressure. Thanks again, and I'd be interested in your thoughts. What an awesome email. And if I was, I would make a lot of changes to to how hockey is broadcast. I think when it comes to hockey, especially in Philadelphia, we know that, look, I did sports talk radio for 20 years. And it's not a hot topic of discussion on sports talk radio. And I think it's for the exact reason Doug just said. I, there's a lot of people that are fans but maybe don't understand nuance of the game. They understand nuance of football because I think that game is broadcasted in a way that's very educational. And you can watch, you know, breakdowns on online or on TV, you know, highlight shows, break it down and show all 22 camera angles and break down the guard pulling and all that stuff. And the NBA, it's a little bit more simplified with the five men on the floor. And we can all relate to just going out in the driveway, picking up a ball and shooting hoop or going to the gym and playing or whether you played organized or not. So I think those sports maybe the the IQ on the sport is definitely higher. And it's it's probably not that way in hockey. Not as many people in masses played the game. And you know, they, they some people just like the game because it's a fun game to watch. It looks good and it's high speed and it's physical and it's emotional and all those things. Um I've always thought that educating people more on the on the tactical elements of the game would help a lot. And I think this is where podcasts have really been good. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there that really like that really rely on analytics. Like Charlie O'Connor is a big analytics guy and explains that on his podcast. And I think that helps educate people into the analytics aspect of it. And, you know, hearing from former players that have podcasts, you get behind the scenes type feels to them. You know, I think all of those things are good. And I think the more people understand about this game, I think it, the more you can even appreciate it. I use the term a lot that that's beautiful hockey. And, you know, beautiful hockey is a team coming down, obtaining the zone, making a couple great passes, and setting up a great goal. Or the way a player comes into and crashes off the weak side to thwart an, off, an opposition scoring chance. You know, they're... They're cerebral decisions, and the game can be beautiful because it's got such flow and grace to it with how fast players can skate, but it's got the brutality of the physical play and the fact that you can skate faster than you can run, and you can collide with another player, and you can actually hit that player into an area that doesn't move, like the boards. So it's incredibly brutal in that regard as well. So, I mean, I would like to use, you know, YouTube and and podcasts to go through that stuff. I love going through and looking at the anatomy of a goal or the anatomy of a save. I think we need way more of that. To me, when a goal is scored, I always go back and watch it a minimum of five times to look for the, you know, the 45 seconds leading into the goal to really figure out, okay, 
how did this take place? Where is the opportunity for the team that scored the goal? And what decisions were made to create that opportunity? Because ultimately, it's all about decision-making, and sometimes the wrong decision is what creates a scoring chance. Sometimes it's the bounce of a puck, like the Farabee goal uh, against Columbus to open the scoring, the back angle. He jumped on a loose puck in the neutral zone, went in and beat the goalie on the back end. But I like to look at those things, you know, and like you bring up, Doug brings up set plays off offensive zone faceoffs. Some people, hockey fans, don't even know that there are set plays. It looks just kind of chaotic, so there can't be any set play to it other than, hey, the center's trying to win it back to his D-man. But there are set plays that happen a ton in hockey. Some teams run more plays than others. Some teams don't run a whole heck of a lot. But when you look at, you know, you said gap control and forechecking. Now, forechecking to me is one of those things that I would love to people to kind of be able to recognize easier, like recognizing a blitz in the NFL or recognizing a pick and roll in basketball. You know, when you look at the Flyers forecheck, it's a 2-1-2. You see teams that run a 1-2-2. Some teams run a 2-1-2 in the the offensive zone and a 1-2-2 in the neutral zone. But but what does that look like? Like, what, what do all those numbers mean? I would love to put videos together, you know, explaining that with visuals. You know, showing it on a whiteboard or showing examples of it in game. Because I think that a raised IQ is a more educated consumer. And I think the more educated you are when it comes to watching hockey, the even more enjoyable it gets. That's just my opinion on it. I love to get other people's opinions as well. Um, But I love that stuff. I love breaking down stuff. I love looking at it and finding not not just the result, but why, how. How did it happen? How did Carter Hart make the save on that breakaway uh, the other day in that Vegas game on Barbashev? You know, why why didn't he fall for a fake? And how did he stay down on that puck and give Barbashev nothing to shoot at? And then other goals, too. Like you look at the goal that Travis Konechny scored um, against the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's there, down by the goal line, nobody around him, waiting for a player to come. Forster starts to, but then Konechny has already sold that he's looking for, you know, a trailing forward to come into the zone. And Spencer Martin cheats just enough, just a little bit as Konechny looks over, sees the high part of the net and goes, you know what, I'm so close to him. He's not going to be able to react in time. He still thinks I'm probably going to pass from this dead angle, so I'll just roof it on him. And that's what he does. It's it's a confident play from a, a guy who's got 11 goals now on the season. But that's, I, I love those things and looking at the why and how goals are scored or how saves are made. Um, awesome email, Doug. Thank you so, so much. Coming up in tomorrow's episode, we will preview – Flyers, Islanders, and uh, Flyers will get back at it on the road. We'll see if they can make it six straight. The rebuild's not over. It, uh, <laughs> it's not all done. Paul, take a deep breath. It's Thanksgiving week. Enjoy the wins, man. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers Daily.